The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, our guest is Sherry Peck. Sherry is an associate professor of business in Capital University's School of Management. She teaches both adult professionals in Capital's MBA program and traditional undergraduate students. She's fascinated by people's careers and how they got where they are. And actually, Sherry and I share that fascination, and I got to work for her and with her at Capital for a few years. Rarely is the career path straightforward. And how Sherry and I got talking about this is discussing one day how our careers had progressed and how other people who we have worked with have also had interesting trajectories. So her, uh, she's interested in how careers evolve and how we make choices and how that's met with how life happens. So irrespective of how much we've planned our careers, they unfold differently. Sherry earned her doctorate in organizational behavior with a minor in strategy from the Kellogg Graduate School of Management at Northwestern University. She worked at Whitman Corporation, which is a conglomerate, was a conglomerate, and also at Baxter. She has significant Fortune 500 experience, and she earned her MBA and bachelor's degree from University of Chicago. I want the Voice America series to provide valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders, and I believe that this conversation with Sherry, and actually Sherry will interview me more than I interview her today, will really talk about and explore the the combination of how we plan our careers, which I think is foundational, but also that those plans are met with reality. And at least in my path, it took very different turns. I'm, I'm in a place I didn't even know existed and probably didn't exist when I started working 30 years ago. So as we think about the rate of change we're facing, a common theme that we talk about, how careers evolve over the next 30 years, so especially for younger folks earlier in their leadership career, how do we plan and think about careers it's different than what I did and what Sherry did. And I I believe that this conversation will give some interesting insight into how she and I have both framed this. And again, she's done many interviews and has great experience working with undergrads and grads in the education process, many of them mid-career. So she's able to reflect on what she's seen across a broad population, and how she's seen them unfold. She's conducted interviews with a wide range of women, 
and, and specifically and talked about their career progress. What Sherry has found interesting is exploring how people's careers evolve. Many weren't directly charted. So let's move into Sherry doing an introduction of herself, and then we'll go into the questions. So Sherry, tell us about yourself and why this became interesting to you. Okay, well, thank you, Maureen. Thanks for inviting me to to chat with you. Um, why did this become interesting? Let me let me go back. As an undergraduate, I didn't think about careers. I just studied what was interesting to me. Didn't have a clue what I would do with it when I got out. Got out in what was, uh, until recently, the worst recession the United States had seen, and had to pay rent. Ended up uh, working for the Boston Stock Exchange. Um, who knew Boston even had a stock exchange? <laughs> um, I didn't until I got a job there. It was not a good job fit for me. It was very detail-focused. I'm not a very detail-focused person. I'm much better at big picture. It was uh, very sort of solitary work. I am not a solitary sort of person. So uh, on every level, it was not a, a good fit. Um, but I met some really wonderful people. I had a great manager who said, you know, you should go get your MBA, he said to me. He said, they need women in management. This is back in the late 70s, early 80s. And not knowing what else to do, I said, okay, maybe that's a good idea. So I left Boston, went to Chicago, got my MBA. When I was pursuing my MBA, I still didn't know what I was going to do when I grew up. Recession is still going on. I have two job opportunities. One is in inner city Detroit, and one is in Chicago. So I'm like, well, I'm picking the Chicago one. Did I pick <laughs> it because that was what I wanted to do with my life? No, I picked it because it was in Chicago. It was not in inner city Detroit. Uh, ended up working in information technology, which I knew nothing about. That was the first of many serendipitous events that impacted my career. And the more I talked to other people, the more I learned that most people's careers ended up with things happening, not planned. And at first I thought it was just those of us who didn't have clear direction, but the rest of the world had it all planned and figured out. And eventually it became very clear to me that no, the rest of the world did not have it all planned and figured out. Careers evolve. Even back in the 70s and 80s, when this was starting to come onto my radar screen, the idea of a career ladder, a nice clear path that you go up, was already starting to unravel. Even though, you know, now in 2016, we look back and we say, oh, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, people had nice clear career paths. They really didn't. Uh, so that's sort of how I got started thinking about this. As a faculty member at Capital, I work with MBA students, many of whom are in their 30s, perhaps a little younger, perhaps a little older, whose careers also have gone in a meandering path. And again, it's very clear that not a clear trajectory. Paul Hirsch wrote a book probably 30 years ago now, called Pack Your Own Parachute. I remember that book. Okay. Um, well, Paul, Paul Hirsch was one of my uh, dissertation committee advisors, and he and I had a lot of chats about how people need to be responsible for their own careers. And 
that stuck with me. Additionally, as I started getting more and more interested in how women manage their lives, and I can't stand the term balance career and family because there is no balance, so I'm going to say how women manage their lives, it became clear that many women, as they had new life experiences, including children or aging parents, changed what was happening in their careers, added pieces, subtracted pieces. Sheryl uh, Sandberg talks about a uh, career being a jungle gym rather than a ladder. But even that implies a, a place, a single place. So some of the career metaphors that resonate more with me are things like careers as a mosaic where you put down pieces and you don't always see the big picture till you're standing a little distance from it. Or the idea of a career as a labyrinth where you don't quite know where you're headed, but you're wandering through and you're learning as you go. So that was sort of a very long-winded answer <laughs> to a uh, relatively short question. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because especially the undergraduate college book that just came out, we talk about, you know, as students are graduating, getting clarity about, I've spent my entire life working toward graduation. Mm -hmm. Now what is my life vision going to be? What do I want to accomplish? And for many undergrads, it's the first time they think about it. Mm -hmm. With MBAs, it's also fascinating that what I've heard is, I just got out of school and started working in whatever I majored in, and it, I didn't realize that I had a foundational choice. And then through the class, sitting with them as they really, in some cases, struggle with or grapple with the question of, am I what is where I am now and the path that is ahead of me what I intended? So some of the undergrads, because I teach in an engineering program, are saying, I'm not sure I want to be an engineer. Mm -hmm. And at that point, at 22, they've spent their entire lives dedicated to this. And the idea that that's really early in life and that they have a long way to go. And if this isn't the right path, it's just a strong foundation for whatever is next. So you and I have a similar experience, especially with students, that we so often see in conventional society that there's a path that often looks like what our parents did. Um, for, uh, for me, I ended up in economics. I thought I was going to go into engineering. I took my first economics class, I think my first day on campus. I loved it. I loved that. <laughs> it, it helped make sense of things. And I also had a crush on my economics professor. Well, so. Life happens, <laughs> as I said. <laughs> and I've stayed in touch with him for the last 30 years. So mm. it, I didn't imagine I would select a major because there was a cute professor. <laughs> but, you know, at 18, 17 in my case, it, it was what happened. I, and I graduated from college and wasn't sure what economists really did. So similarly, in the early 80s, got out of school, got an internship, and got hired on full-time, you know, in a couple months, went back and got my MBA. And it's interesting that I now write books about how to plan, <laughs> when in fact my reality was, I, I knew my dad said you should get an MBA, so that was kind of on the horizon. Mm -hmm. But beyond the education, I hadn't really been 
planful. You know, other people were interviewing on campus and doing all this stuff. And I said, look back, it's embarrassing how little preparation I had for what I was going to do to earn a living for the rest of my life. Well, but, but I think that's what you should be doing in, in college is exploring and learning how to learn mm-hmm. and learning what you're good at and learning what you're not so good at and learning what makes you poke your eyes out <laughs> and learning what you can tolerate mm-hmm. and learning to be with different people from different backgrounds who have a totally different perspective on, on the world. And so, it, you know, in my perfect world, and I realize we do not live in a perfect world, mm-hmm. but in my perfect world, students wouldn't have to pick a major, certainly not when they, they enter college, and not till a little further down the road. Now, I understand that we do not live in that perfect mm-hmm. world, and parents who are paying enormous tuition bills are a little panicked at <laughs> whether or not their child is going to get a, a job at the other end, and as professions have more and more requirements, I'm thinking education, nursing, business, you, you need certain courses, mm-hmm. and the only way to get those accomplished in four years is to be planful and mm-hmm. purposeful mm-hmm. about it. So I, I do understand that's the reality. You know, one thing that, that I did, and, and again, happenstance, I, I ended up changing jobs about five times in five years because I, mm-hmm. you know, I... 20. I assumed I knew everything and everyone around me was dumb. And what I learned was, yeah, that wasn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> All five jobs had, had the same issues or, or variations of, and I was in I was in finance and I wasn't a good fit, as, as you mentioned earlier. And so I, the thing that I did that really worked well was go to a career counselor. And I took a bunch of assessments, and that's something that is now integrated into all of the books, is looking at my strengths and weaknesses, from foundational personality type to strengths. Even though the books are focused on building leadership, what I learned from the typing was there were certain careers that I would excel in and certain ones that I wouldn't. So they recommended, I was 25 when I took it, teaching consulting or broadcast news well there you you've hit the <laughs> trifecta you've got them all <laughs> i'm not doing news but i am well yeah so interesting that you know almost 25 years later that that focus on strengths helped me unfold my career and again this stuff didn't unfold and i got a call from voice america that said would you like to host a show as a pilot so so it wasn't something i went after and frankly, it was something I assumed I would never do. So <laughs> and even with plans, opportunities presented themselves. So, so back, back up a little, though. So, so you started out as an econ major. You took a job that you were an intern at. Five jobs in five years. All in finance, All yes? Finance okay. and contract management. Okay, so finance and contract management. And as I know, you spent some time in the world of big, heavy-duty consulting, okay? Um, Talk about some of the learnings that you did in those early years. Wow. So one of the, I got my MBA while I was working Mm full-time, and I did the things you can only do at 22 and 23, um, which was work 80 hours a week, go to school, go back to work at night, (laughs) and hang out and drink with my friends. <laughs> so um, 
I slept very little during those years. But the amount of work, living in D.C., going to an MBA program that was focused in finance, and learning about international finance, fascinating to me. So understanding the interrelations between an economic variable and how that plays through an economy and how global um, variables impact it created a foundation of analytics that even though I don't work in, in finance, really gave me a strong business acumen. And so when I went into consulting, I, I actually started doing financial projects and I loved leading a team because I got the interaction, not just the finance. So like you doing 100% detail work in a cubicle all day wasn't what I was looking for. But I liked the analysis, so I had a balance of both. And the consulting, I have said, covers career ADD. So, <laughs> so it really allowed me to, to try work in all kinds of industries. Even in the consulting arena, there was a bias toward picking an industry and a service offering, and I didn't do that as well. At some point, I kind of picked a path and and ended up changing anyway. So mm -hmm. going to conferences on supply chain management, on uh, implementing ERP systems, change management, I did Malcolm Baldridge implementations. It was just the broad range of understanding how businesses and governments operate. So I also did a lot of consulting early in my career with the Air Force, uh, working with advanced medium-range air-to-air missiles. Okay. So, <laughs> again, the engineering piece. Right. So, so engineering has been part of it. Analytics has been part of it. Helping organizations transform to meet customers' expectations, whether it's the U.S. military to be more effective in a moving from one geographic target to the next. So how does a missile work in the desert, which is different than it worked in where we may test them here? So it's it just fascinating for me, understanding the operations of organizations and people. So let's take this point to go to break. Sherry Peck is our guest, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And we are chatting about how careers unfold ours, <laughs> our students, and others. We'll be back in a few minutes. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, 
online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and we are with Sherry Peck, and we're talking about how careers unfold. So, Cher, what do you want to know next? Well, I, I'd be curious, Maureen, to, to know, you know, you said you went to school thinking you were going to be an engineer and discovered economics, or maybe you discovered your economics professor, <laughs> uh, one or the other. But but be that as it may, uh, talk about, you know, when you were a kid, what you loved, what you were excited mm-hmm. about. Did you have heroes or heroines, you know, the role of your parents or siblings or... I'd be curious to go way back into your history there. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to go way back into my history. <laughs> well, just pick the good stuff. <laughs> so what I can say from here, my dad was, when I was young, he was in the military, military intelligence. He retired from the Army and became an accountant. So he had that hardcore risk management uh, what I would say business, I realize it was the business of running a, a military organization. That's but, a business. But had it, yeah, he worked for the comptroller a, and also this intelligence analyst piece. So we discussed politics in interesting ways growing up. And I had some twinge of I wanted to go into politics, but living in D.C. and hanging out with the political crowd, I discovered pretty quickly that that wasn't where I belonged. Mm-hmm. So business was, or, or yeah, business was. Mm-hmm. My mom, on the other hand, was an artist. So she, she, starting at a young age, took me to painting classes. She was a photographer, so I actually worked for her for a while. I did a little bit of modeling. That was a long time ago. <laughs> so, so, And we went to concerts. Uh, we went to art museums. So that whole artistic upbringing was really strongly embedded and so it was a bit of a right brain left brain upbringing and in the testing I don't know if this is innate or developed but certainly the brain testing I've done since then has said I have both right and left brain mm-hmm. characteristics and and as we prepared for the interview I we, we've talked about me writing out the answers to the questions I, I do tend to go analytical and yet if you look at the books and, and things like that, uh, for me, a very strong visual component, everything from the logo that is our, the leaf logo, actually is turned into the bullets in, in some places in the books. So there's a strong, for me, visual component, and I work with a brilliant visual designer, and that those are all very deliberate choices. So it feels like I took 
parts from my upbringing, the analytical part, certainly I attribute to my dad, the visual part to my mom. And as a kid, we also, dad loved debating and arguing. <laughs> and so um, he instilled some of that. I was a shyer kid. In fact, a very shy kid in some cases. I We went to France for a, an undergrad, uh, high school trip. And I had a crush on a boy from another school so I left my hotel and went to see him walked myself back and I realized I didn't know the name of the hotel this is eighth grade so I've, <laughs> I've gotten smarter in traveling what I knew was the carpet so okay. I was this shy kid who looked down and I knew the carpet I went back to the wrong hotel with the same <laughs> carpet and tried to explain in my eighth grade French <laughs> That I I was clearly in the wrong place because no one was in my room and my stuff wasn't there. <laughs> so, so also probably an early sense of adventure that yeah. came from both parents. And well, that... and a willingness to take risks. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you you were willing to, to leave your hotel in a country that you did not know, uh, in a language that you were not totally Proficient. comfortable in. <laughs> right? and, and we talk about a willingness to get outside of one's comfort zone in careers. And when I first chatted with you about how did you end up doing this, this radio mm -hmm. show, you said, well, they asked me. Well, some people who are not as willing to step outside of their comfort mm -hmm. zone would say, well, they asked me and I don't know anything about radio shows, so thanks, but no thanks. Uh, you'd be flattered and, mm -hmm. and, and sort of close the door. One theme that I've seen in talking to a, a number of women leaders from, mm -hmm. from around the world is a willingness to take risks and a willingness to go beyond their comfort zone. And I don't know if that's more difficult for women or not. Uh, by saying more mm -hmm. difficult, I mean more difficult than for men. Mm -hmm. I suspect that it might be. I, I don't know. I don't have evidence. I'm not doing research. Mm -hmm. But I suspect that more women than men are uh, a little hesitant to go outside their comfort zone. Some of the uh, anecdotal evidence that, that I can give you is a lot of women that I speak with, when they're looking to change jobs, they'll say, well, I can't apply for that job because I don't have this, this, and this that they're asking for. And I'll say, well, but you've got this that they're asking for, and you're a quick learner, you're smart, mm -hmm. you can figure it out. And for a lot of women, there's this, well, I suppose, whereas a lot of guys are, yeah, I know this, and I'm going for it. <laughs> And lo and behold, uh, they often get the job and they figure it out. And the, the women could just as well. But I do see, and maybe it's just the women that I've chatted with. No, there is some research but, to support that. Well, that's good to know that my anecdotal <laughs> evidence is uh, <laughs> supported by data. You know, there's something else I remember reading early on. So as I did those five job changes, I had gotten my MBA. I was taking some Master's of Engineering classes and I wanted to go back to school again. Um, to e I wanted to change jobs and find where I fit. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking um, either marketing because I thought they didn't seem to work quite as hard as I did. And they made a lot more money. <laughs> and they got paid to go out drinking. And I was sitting in a cubicle late at night. Okay. Right? So that seemed good. Or law school. And during that time, I read two books, Passages, or I think it was oh, New yeah, Passages. Oh, yeah, Gail Sheehy, yeah. Oh, boy. And, and Second <laughs> 
chances. Okay. And what it said, you know, and here I am, 25, I'm sitting on an airplane going someplace reading my book. And the Second Chances book talked about women who had gotten married young, raised their children, and had then gone into the workforce. And so these are women in their 40s, some older, who are getting master's degrees, getting PhDs, entering the workforce. That must have seemed ancient to you. At, at 25, <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, their life should be over by now. <laughs> well, what, what struck me is I'm thinking I'm too old to change careers because I'm 25. <laughs> and here are these people who are significantly older, who have, in some cases, no more experience mm-hmm. professionally than I do. And if they can do it, then I can do it. What am I what's getting in my way and so I think that reading helped and you know the other thing I talk about for leaders is taking on the mind of a scientist and somewhere along the way and I may have been born with it I don't know but this idea that the answer is I have a bias to yes so if somebody says do you want to do something sure sure I'll try right so when you asked if I if we would do an interview about my career, my of course, my answer was yes, and hopefully people like it. And, and if they don't, they won't listen. Mm-hmm. So, and so I don't do anything that's going to hurt me. But I think especially for women, that bias where we may be taught or maybe um, genetically wired for, for stability I, I and here's why I should just be quiet because I have no scientific evidence <laughs> for for why we are oriented to be maybe less risk taking other than where for people who have children trying to create a stable environment for their children and that requires a kind of decision making that creates stability. Well, it, it could be, and I, I will say that in the women leaders that I've interviewed for for this blog that I write. Um, almost all of them have that same bias for yes. Mm-hmm. Say yes and then figure it out. Mm-hmm. And a confidence that I'm smart, I can figure this out. Mm-hmm. And then they do. And it's fun. And they do. And almost everybody's had a time where things have not gone well. Oh, yeah. Um, and rather than say, oh, this didn't go well, I made a terrible choice, mm-hmm. woe is me, it's like, okay, this didn't go well, what can I learn from it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and certainly with your you know five jobs in five years, um, oh, and there, you know there was you, a job you loss. learned, yeah, yeah, and, and you learned, mm-hmm. and you learned, and you you got back up on the horse, and mm-hmm. uh, you rode it a little differently. <laughs> you you rode it a little differently. Mm-hmm. So that that does seem to be a common experience, uh, a common common thread. Um, if you could talk a little bit about the people along the way mm-hmm. who've helped you, mm-hmm. and we often hear the term mentor and let uh, go find a mentor. Mm-hmm. And a mentor can be valuable. A mentor provides advice. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you might meet with a mentor on a regular basis mm-hmm. or it might be on an as-needed basis. Mm-hmm. It might be a formal mentor through a mentoring mm-hmm. program. It might be an informal mentor. Or it might be somebody who's a sponsor. And a sponsor differs from a mentor in that a sponsor actively helps you actively puts you in front of the people mm. that can mm-hmm. what, where you can do things where you can shine talk about mentors sponsors the, okay. the people along the way so one of my early bosses female boss so it was the first female boss it was my first consulting job very uh, liberal active feminist so this is you know mid 80s 
when feminism was important to, to mm -hmm. change the, how, how the working world uh, responded to women and how we responded to it. She, because she was my boss, we talked regularly, but we were also traveling. So we were living in D.C., working in Columbus. And because of the travel, we didn't have the, the traditional family commitments and things. So we had dinner together almost every night and hung out and talked a lot. And we talked about everything. And I just learned a very different perspective from our conversations and also watching her as a woman a much more aggressive than I was, mm -hmm. m um, much more direct, and it worked. Mm. So, okay. so I grew up a little bit with you defer to men. Okay. A and she didn't defer to any guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think ever in her life, right? So she was an amazing teacher, whether or not she intended to be. And she was of, of many of the female staff. And there was kind of an expectation that we support one another. Not mm -hmm. that we didn't also support our male staff. We supported our staff overall. But there was a special support for, most of our staff was younger, so for younger women mm -hmm. entering the workplace because we were all kind of making our way at that point. Right. Um, after, so forward to recently, when I started my, the consulting firm, there was a gentleman, Christopher Washington, who recommended me for my first project, okay. which really started the company. Uh, Paul Schmucker, who we, we used to fondly call the queen maker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, How did he get that name? <laughs> there were several of us. He was a retired Accenture partner, quite successful. Mm -hmm. And he recommended us for different opportunities. Ah, so that would be a sponsor. Yeah. A absolutely. Yeah, put us in front of people. My former boss, uh, Dorn, also put us, gave me opportunities to be in front of clients on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. so, so also a boss and a sponsor. One of the other categories that I think is important to, to mention is thought partners. And so I've had three that stand out. Belinda Gore, who was instrumental in creating the Innovative Leadership Framework. It was through several conversations and working together that that construct came together at all. And then Mark Palmer joined us later to validate the constructs and to help build them out a little more. And then the third is Carla Morelli, who started her business before I did and was really an advisor in how to be an entrepreneur and also just a thought partner in so many areas where I was doing something I hadn't done before and I'd call her and think through it or she'd tell me what to do, um, tell me what she had learned from her experience in running a business. And then as she moved into an M&A role in acquiring businesses, that additional set of skills really helped me think through how I was doing the work I was doing. And ultimately, we ended up writing a paper together last year. So I think that peer level ability to think through questions and frameworks and models and just become better is really has been foundational in my career. And I want to say along the way, they're just, I have found people to be amazingly helpful. At Ohio State, Amat Selamet, Dr. Selamet, was the, is the department chair for mechanical engineering, invited me to teach. 
So teaching global leadership at OSU is a big deal, or at least it is to me. Mm-hmm. And in the mechanical engineering program, <laughs> really fun. Right. I've been teaching in the business school my entire career. So, you know, at every step, somebody, when I lean forward, someone leans in to meet me. Mm-hmm. And without exception, yeah, I have been really fortunate and tried to pay that forward and pay it back. That, in fact, that was going to be my next question. So, so tell mm-hmm. me about people that you've mentored or sponsored and how they came into your life mm-hmm. and the role you've played in their lives. You know, a lot of them have been students. Okay. So it, in the class, the way I teach it classes, but mainly the leadership class, they do journals every week. And those who really want to continue to connect have in some cases, ended up being interns. Mm-hmm. They've ended up being friends. I host an event at my house, uh, theoretically quarterly, but <laughs> <laughs> some some years are really regularly. <laughs> we'll call it regularly, <laughs> inconsistently, but <laughs> some hosting. And some of the folks, uh, some of the folks from Capital, mm-hmm. have ended up coming to those consistently because. You know, as as adults, I don't want to say I mentor them because they are equal in the relationship. It's not mm-hmm. an up-down. Mm-hmm. It's a peer relationship. And Kara Rising, who <laughs> is here with us in the studio, is also working with me now. And hopefully, again, I'm playing a bit of a mentoring role. But she also brings just a wealth of experience to the relationship. Um, Eric Filippo, who was an intern... Eric sent me an email. I was working out in Arizona with a colleague, and I said, I just got this email that said, I'm your new intern. I wasn't (laughs) looking for an intern. Where did this guy come from? And (laughs) Eric is one of the young men who's just a lovely, lovely young man and leaned in and just said, I want to be your intern. I'll do whatever you want. Uh I'll get you coffee, which, of course, if anyone who knows me knows, I'm constantly drinking coffee. So Eric (laughs) gets to my heart by offering to do anything I want, including getting me coffee, rather than saying, I want to be your intern and here is the thing I want to do. Eric just said, I want to learn about consulting and you do consulting. So let me hang out with you. And, And he ended up writing a blog series. He ended up contributing to the college student book. And playing a major role in shaping the book. Uh-huh. So, so for me, the it feels like when I mentor someone, what I really do is open a door for them to have an opportunity. And they step in as much as they want or as little as they want. Right. And right. each of them do so in ways that the, the term I use is we do what we have energy for. So if you want to write a blog series and you start doing it and you find that that's not useful. Right. Don't do that, but find something (laughs) that's useful. Right. So so the mentoring in some ways is, and I create the space for people to figure out where they fit. Okay. And have intelligent uh, conversations. Uh, Luke Moore was an intern earlier this year. He played a very different role than Eric, but we ended up starting a research program with actually former capital students Mm -hmm. who who said, we, we finished the the leadership class, and we want to continue. How okay. do we do that? So right. Eric helped 
organized that, or not Eric, sorry, Luke organized that, and we now meet relative, well, rel- again, relatively consistently. <laughs> um, somebody else suggested a certification program. Mm-hmm. And and again, it's, it, and this is where the unfolding, it seems like everyone in my life, someone will suggest something, whether they're an intern or a peer or a friend or a client, and life just seems to... It unfolds. It does. It, it, it Almost the image of the path rises to meet you. Mm-hmm. If you're doing the work that is really you're intended to do, it seems like doors open. Okay. And I need to say doors have also closed and it's been really painful. So, so if I can take the balance and say mm-hmm. when I'm on the path that is most effective for me right now, right. those doors right. open. When I'm on the wrong path... Uh, they don't just shut slightly. They <laughs> slam you in the face. Slam in the face. <laughs> right. And it hurts. Right. So, so, you know, one of the things I think that's important to talk about is as I looked at people's careers, they always look, you know, when you look at somebody who's a CEO and a lot of the people I right. interview, they look magically like, oh, that guy never had a problem. And what we don't talk about is what holes did you fall in and how deep Absolutely. were they? And, and how'd you get out? And how'd you get out? And how'd you get out? And I think that that's, uh, I, I think you're right. People don't talk about that because we only want to talk about the good stuff. And we, I think, do a disservice to, uh, I hate to say younger people, but as I get older, I'm going to say it. Um, we, we do a disservice to younger people who look and assume that the paths have been relatively straightforward and the paths have been, you know, not branching off and the paths have not been full of ruts and some paths haven't been dead ends. And yet for many, many people, mm. they have. I'd, I'd say for more people have had those experiences than not. So let's go to break. And then if you're okay with this, come back and talk about how did you get out? And I'll sure. share a little bit about how I got out because I think for many of us, that's the thing we don't talk about. Absolutely. So we're going to go to break. This is Maureen Metcalf and Sherry Peck, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf with Sherry Peck. So I wonder, what was your biggest career bump, and how'd you get out of it? Sure. So after I got my MBA, I was working at Baxter in Deerfield, Illinois. They had a merger. I survived the merger, Mm -hmm. uh, but as they say about mergers, why are mergers like nuclear wars? Do you know the answer to that, Maureen? I don't. Well, mergers are like nuclear wars because the survivors envy the dead. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) And so so while I was a survivor and had more people working for me and life was supposed to be great, I'm like, I think it's time for a change. Mm -hmm. And I I did go to IC Industries, uh, which became Whitman Corporation, large conglomerate. And while there, I was just about 30 years old, and I was like, there's got to be more to my life, and I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. there, there's got to be more. And somebody said, well, why don't you try teaching? And I'm like, well, okay, I don't know, sort of as you said, mm-hmm. you know, say yes and then, then figure it out. So I'm living in Chicago. I send my resume to a lot of local schools, and about two or three days before a semester starts, I got a phone call from Roosevelt University and they said, uh, the professor for our strategy class just had a heart attack. Would you be willing to teach on Monday nights? And I'm like, like starting next Monday? And they said, uh, yes, actually starting <laughs> next Monday. And I'm like, okay, sure. And it, the same sort of thing as you said. You, you say yes and you figure it out. And I figure, okay, you know, I've been working in corporate America 10 years or so. I've got an MBA from Chicago. I should be able to figure this out. And I did, and I stayed a chapter or two ahead of the students. And uh, <laughs> That describes my consulting and, career. <laughs> right, and I, I figured it out, and I discovered I loved it. Mm. I discovered I loved teaching. And meanwhile, I still had my corporate job. I'm traveling around the country working mm-hmm. with our various subsidiaries. And while that had some really good aspects to it, it didn't light my fire the way teaching did. Mm-hmm. And after doing this for almost two years, I, I went to the dean and I said, I'd really love to do this full time. I said, I know it doesn't pay as well as corporate, but you know, I'd really like to do this. And the dean laughed at me. It was a woman, Dean Matasar, And she says, well, you'd have to get a PhD. And I'm like, I'd have to go back to school? And she's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I thought about it and I thought about it. And I thought, what the heck? You, I figured I'd be working for another 35 years or so. I have to like what I'm doing. I have to have a fire in mm-hmm. my belly. Mm-hmm. I applied to doctoral programs, I sold my condo, I quit my job, and I started the doctoral program mm-hmm. at Northwestern University. Oh, so wow. that was my uh, <laughs> getting unstuck wow. moment, um, for mm-hmm. what it's worth. And mine was a little different, I, and I want to say more traumatic. <laughs> 
I, I was at a large consulting firm working in the utilities space, helping set up trading floors. Okay. So, so it was the time when we were privatizing utilities, mm-hmm. and it was pre-Enron. Okay, good to <laughs> right? know. So Enron happened, really, right. is what, what yeah. is probably the accurate statement. Mm-hmm. And that industry just collapsed almost right. overnight. So I was up for partner. I needed to sell a certain amount of work and manage a certain amount of and work. all of a sudden, and, there was no work to be sold. And there was no work. Right. I, I went from being on a project to no project, no prospects, and I'm, at that point, a fairly expensive resource to be sitting around doing nothing. Right. And there weren't big gaps in our practice that just said, we want those people to come mm-hmm. over. Because at the same time, we were going public. Ah. So the combination of, right. in a practice that w- short-term wasn't in demand, up for partner. And, and, and the pressures for earnings. Financial pressures yeah. for earnings. It was a good time for me to exit and yet I took that so amazingly personally. To me, it was, I was fired, I was defective, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I had been consulting and traveling at that point for about 12 years, so that mm-hmm. meant mainly I was home for two weeks a year. Right. And that was my vacation, <laughs> and I was happy to be at home. <laughs> um, so I needed just to recover. Mm-hmm. and regain some balance. Mm-hmm. I spent three months at a retreat center, starting two days a week, and at the end it was five or six days a week, catching up on all the books I hadn't read, and really figuring out that question again, who am I and what do I want to do next? Right. It right. still took a couple years to figure out what I wanted to do, so I started the consulting firm mainly in response to, I don't want to do that again, right. and I don't know right. what I want to do, so let me find good client work and that's where Christopher I I was actually starting to teach at Franklin University in their MBA program and I went to sit in Christopher's class just to see what I had more than a week to prepare (laughs) (laughs) so I'm new to teaching I'm at that point a terrible introvert like being in front of students was horrifying to me (laughs) Um, and Christopher said hey I just got this call uh, for a project, but it's in New Jersey full time. It was right after 9 11. Okay. So, you know, machine guns, terrible economy, right. and I'm, you know, unemployed. So, um, what was interesting was the person who had started the project and got sick, uh, so, which meant I took over was someone I had given a project to almost a decade earlier. Oh, talk about so, serendipity. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, but the the healing and the transition just took an amount of time much longer than I would have ever imagined. Mm -hmm. And it was 10 years later, I mentioned Paul Schmucker, the kingmaker, Mm -hmm. who said, you weren't fired. We were all asked to leave at that point in time. The practice was going away. Had nothing to do with you. So right. you, you've been taken this personally for way too long. (laughs) Get get over it. Right. (laughs) You know, so, so there is a bit of both building the internal strength and a lot of support from others outside, the kind of the combination. But that internal strength gave me the capacity, I think, to go try new things because I'd already failed ah, and okay. survived. So you saw it as a personal failure. I saw it as a personal and failure. So, But rather than say it's a personal failure and I can't do this, it's, it's a personal failure. Okay, the worst has happened. 
what else can happen to me? Yeah. And and you took it as mm-hmm. like, okay, so that happened and I'm still alive and I and mm-hmm. I will move forward. And and you could have gone either way. I could have gone either way. And the other part was I single. Uh, and that helps because <laughs> yeah. nobody else is depending nobody. on you. No. Well, nobody else is paying my bills either. Well, that too. <laughs> so, if well, I wanted to continue, sword. yeah, it's uh, a double-edged sword. So I, I did downsize. I was in a small condo, yeah. which made it easier to start my company. Right. But the, but there was a, you know, I'd been successful earlier in my career, and as badly as it hurt, and as defective as I felt about myself. It just was almost a, the image of the death march. I can't give <laughs> up, so I'm just going to keep going, and I'll f- I'll figure it out. Right, right. And it's that hopefully. confidence that I will figure it out. And then there was someone else that I need to mention that I haven't mentioned in the past, Belinda Gore. So she was my therapist at the time, and she taught me about developmental psychology, which is foundational now to all of the work I'm doing, and Ray Forbes, both of them at the same time, Developmental psychology and integral theory. And I started to recognize where I was on the developmental journey and how that differed from the environment in which I was working. And that helped me make sense of why I didn't fit. Mm -hmm. And I didn't yet know where I did fit. But it at least gave me a little bit of my own reprieve to say that I'm not broken. Right. And that was huge. So, so the so it, again, maybe it's a three-legged stool. It's the constructs and frameworks that are now foundational to all of my work because of how they impacted me. Mm-hmm. The support of friends and a good therapist, and the inner work of uh, building strength of character mm-hmm. and seeing it as able to move forward. Yeah. Well. And there, there you have it. Um. So w- let's do a little bit of a wrap-up. Okay. So first, thank you for joining us. Oh, it was my pleasure. A- absolutely my pleasure. It, it, Sherry, what's your blog for people who want to read these stories about other women? Sure. I, I'm writing a blog post for um, Pakra Games, and that's another one of these say-yes situations. The owner of Pakra Games is a woman. And she does work internationally. And she said, if you're interested in women in leadership, would you interview women and write them for my blog, for for my uh, site? I'm like, well, why would people come to your site to read what I have to say? She says, write it and they will come. (laughs) And much to my amazement, I'm writing it and they are coming. So so there you have it. Um, Some of the blog posts, you know, I've had 10,000 people come to them. Some, maybe a thousand. So yeah, mm. there, there's certainly a v- variety, but it is it has been in in those conversations with women that that I have been exploring careers in, in much the way that, that your career has unfolded. Many of these women's careers have unfolded. Thank you. So we're going to wrap up. The main takeaway for me from this conversation, and and that I want people to walk away with, is certainly there is value to figuring out who you are and what you stand for. But the combination of knowing myself and, and being open and ready to accept the offers that come our way. I think Sherry, Sherry has mentioned about herself and about others that willingness to say yes, a bias for experimenting and 
to, to things that are reasonable, certainly. Mm-hmm. But that has taken us and almost every other woman you've interviewed into avenues that we hadn't imagined, and they've been brilliant in some cases. <laughs> and what comes out of that is is the opportunity to live a life that's meaningful, where we make an impact. I know Sherry impacts students every day. She is amazingly highly regarded. And I know many of her students who, who think the world of her. And what better way to end a life or to live a life? Let's <laughs> yes, not end it just yet, Maureen. Sorry. What better way to I'm live? I'm not quite ready to end yet. Sorry. I, I went to legacy. <laughs> if on my deathbed I can say I made a huge impact. There you that's, go. <laughs> you know, who, what can be better? Much better than I killed a bunch of cows to eat <laughs> eat hamburgers and wear shoes. <laughs> and that's that's the result of my life. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments, please email info at metcalf-associates.com. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.